Since taking office, Avno government has enacted a series of measures that systematically undermine private investment in renewables. Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the CSIS Energy Security and Climate Change Program. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, we turn to energy developments in Mexico. My colleague here in the Energy Program, Ben Cahill, talks with Lisa Vasidi. Lisa is the director of the Energy, Climate Change, and Extractive Industries Program at the Inter-American Dialogue. Lisa and Ben talk about the impacts of COVID-19 on Mexico's economy and the energy sector, and they also take a hard look at Pemex and the oil sector and the dynamics of the U.S.-Mexico energy relationship. Let's turn it over to Ben now. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's great to have you here. I thought we could start with a very broad question, which is how COVID-19, the pandemic, has affected Mexico's economy as a whole and especially the energy sector. Um, I've seen reports that growth for the first quarter was quite weak and the projections seem to be pretty dire for the rest of the year. But how's it looking for Mexico's economy and and the energy sector generally? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely had a a negative impact. Mexico has 160,000 confirmed cases, 19,000 deaths. Uh, It's among the highest numbers in Latin America, which is now as a region, the epicenter for the outbreak. And testing has been inadequate, so the number of cases is probably higher and still rising. Um, Mexico did not impose as strong lockdown measures as some of the other countries in Latin America, but nevertheless, it's definitely taken a toll on the economy. So um, the central bank estimated last month that the economy could could contract by over 8% this year and that they could lose between 800,000 and 1.2 million jobs uh, due to the pandemic. Um, And also, some investors predict that Mexico could lose its investment-grade credit rating, which would obviously be a very serious problem. And in fact, the problems in Mexico's energy sector are one of the reasons behind a potential downgrade. So these two issues are linked. Investors are concerned about the private sector having been shut out of energy investment, about the government's plan to spend billions of dollars on a new refinery, and on lower oil prices hurting Pemex and government finances. And Pemex was already downgraded by two rating rating agencies uh, and moved into junk status, which forced many investors to sell its bonds. So Pemex is too big to fail. So its rating is tied to the sovereign rating. Um, And also the the pandemic has also affected the power sector, not just the oil sector. So demand there fell by around 20 percent, which happened in many countries across the region. Uh, because of the lockdown measures, although, of course, that's more of a temporary situation and, you know, eventually power demand will recover as the economy gets back to normal. Yeah, I'd love to talk about Pemex in a bit more detail later on. Um, But you've outlined a bunch of short-term problems, big problems for the government in terms of the economy. Um, In the energy sector, there were clearly some concerns especially of private investors that have predated this. Um, So if we start with the oil and gas sector, the government of the president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, has halted new bid rounds. They've raised a lot of concerns about unitization of of oil and gas fields, which has caused some pretty long delays for for big fields that have been discovered. I think it's fair to say that the, the policies have been pretty confusing and somewhat discouraging for private investors. So do you think it's fair to say that the government of Mexico shut down the oil opening before it can really deliver? And is there still a role for private investment in the oil and gas sector there? 
Well, yeah, I would I would tend to agree with your first question. I think there's no question that if Lopez Obrador had continued with the key aspects of the reform, such as the bid rounds and the farm outs, that oil production today from private companies would be higher than it is right now. Um, mm. Firstly, I think because more contracts would have been awarded if they hadn't halted the bid rounds, but also because I think his attempts to stop private investment and consolidate Pemex's monopoly have caused a lack of certainty in the in the sector that's led some companies to develop projects more slowly than they could have if, if there was more confidence in, in the overall environment. Um, since 2013, the reforms have brought in investment of over $100 billion. Um, there's been sales of more than 80 blocks and signing of over 100 contracts with 70 companies. So, you know, there, there were a lot of developments early on. Um, but in May, private companies were producing only 125,000 barrels per day, which is less than 10 percent of the country's total production. Um, so, you know, it's still the contribution from private companies is still a very small share of the total. And new opportunities for private investment right now are extremely limited. The government introduced a model for service contracts, um, but that's essentially the only opportunity for investment right now is in service contracts, which is really just going back to the pre-reform model, which was a framework that it doesn't allow companies to book reserves, and it's not attractive for most oil companies. Um, and other opportunities are, are not opening up. And this far into the administration, I, I can't see them completely reversing course. I think that, you know, this is the direction that things are, are going to continue to go. Yeah, it seems like one of those cases where the, the years long time horizon that it takes from, you know, expiration to discovery to development, um, it, there just is not enough time for all those, uh, the entire cycle to play out before some of these policy changes have, have taken place. So if we could talk about Pemex in a bit more detail, I mean, it's striking to me that Pemex has been such a big part of AMLO's uh, perspective on the energy sector and really his perspective on Mexico's economy writ large. I mean, and he's really focused throughout his presidency on bolstering Pemex, for example, through tax reform, through protecting his traditional role in the sector. Um, he's obviously someone who's quite skeptical of the value of private investment and motivations of private investors, the deal that Mexicans are getting. But it also seems clear that he's burdening the company by forcing it to take on the Dos Bocas refinery, you know, costly downstream investments, and really saddling it with too many responsibilities, especially for offshore. So can you just unpack that a little bit and help explain how does the president think about Pemex and its role in the oil and gas sector? What does he want them to do? So I think that he is aware that Pemex's financial problems are a serious problem for the government. And he certainly doesn't want Mexico to lose investment grade. I mean, he's traditionally been actually, despite being a leftist in many ways, he's a fiscal conservative. So I think he's concerned about the financial aspects. But I also think that he does not want to abandon his plan to bring back Pemex's monopoly. Um, and he certainly doesn't want to abandon his plan to build a new refinery, especially because it, it's clear now that there's no way he's going to reach the original goal of increasing oil production. Oil production just continues to decline. So now it makes sense to shift the focus on the refinery, which is some something that he can successfully do. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of the company's finances, uh, things were already not great, but Pemex has been hurt by the drop in oil prices. So now many of its fields are not even profitable at current prices. Its average production costs are around $25 to $30 a barrel. 
um, you know, some of the fields are, are already not meeting that threshold um, where current prices are right now. Um, so Pemex announced a 23% cut to its pre-crisis upstream budget. It has been focusing more on onshore and shallow water fields, which are easier and less capital intensive um, and easier for Pemex to develop. Um, but its production fell by 5% from April to May. It's at 1.5 million barrels a day. This was right after the um, agreement to cut production with OPEC, but production was falling anyway. So I think the, the cut would have happened regardless of the OPEC agreement. Um, and Pemex's financial debt is an enormous problem for the government. It's, it's equal to about a third of the federal budget. Uh, and some analysts think that it will need substantial aid. It will, it will need up to two or three percent of Mexico's 2020 GDP, um, equivalent to that in order to recover financially. And so, you know, even despite the tax cuts that have already happened, it may need more help. So this kind of puts the government in a bind because they don't want to abandon their plan for the refinery but they're really in a straitjacket with Pemex's financial situation. Mm. And do you think that there will actually be the capacity to help the government to lend uh, a hand to Pemex and help it out with the finances, make some transfers or alleviate more of its tax burden? I mean, I think they can do that. At this point, Pemex already lost investment grade from two of the three rating agencies. It will, it will almost inevitably lose investment grade from the third but kind of the damage has already been done there. But, you know, they, they just can't afford for, for Pemex to not be able to invest in oil production. Um, and the cost of borrowing for the company is higher now. So I think that they'll do what's necessary to keep the company afloat. And there will probably have to be more tax breaks, which is probably something that made sense anyway. Pemex has a very large tax burden compared to other oil companies. So mm. they'll probably have to be some more relief, but then obviously that money has to come from somewhere. So it's, it's going to be difficult. So Mexico is a key market for U.S. natural gas exports. Um, it's actually been kind of an outlet for a lot of the producers in Texas and, and, and other states. Uh, but AMLO came into office wanting to reduce dependence on, on imports from the United States. So Lisa, can you just explain what is Mexico's plan for gas? So initially during the campaign, when AMLO talked about energy sovereignty, he talked about the need to reduce dependence on natural gas imports from the U.S. And Mexico is extremely dependent on U.S. gas, you know, much more than any other country is dependent on gas from another country in the world. Um, it covers an average. It's been over half of total consumption. Now the figures are even higher up until the pandemic. Um, so the president wanted to increase Pemex's gas production to move towards self-sufficiency. But I think now the administration realizes that that is very unlikely to happen. So, you know, unlike the, uh, some of the other issues that we talked about where they're kind of moving full steam ahead, such as a refinery, I do think there's a realization that it's just not going to happen, reducing imports from the U.S., because Pemex has just not mm -hmm. been able to increase gas production. And it's it's very difficult to find an alternative um, and to move away from dependence on the U.S. when U.S. gas prices are just so competitive. So at the moment, natural gas imports from the U.S. are actually way down. But that's just because the pandemic has reduced power and natural gas demand, especially from commercial and industrial consumers. 
but that's a that's a temporary situation. And when demand recovers, I think they the Mexico will go back to importing a lot of gas from the U.S. So that's one area where I think just market forces uh, and the reality of the difficulty for Pemex to increase production have just forced them to acknowledge that that may be a long term goal, self-sufficiency, but in the short term, it's just not going to happen. Right. So a bit of a silver lining for U.S. gas producers. Yeah. At least. <laughs> um, well, let's change gears a little bit and talk about the renewable space. So in May, the government passed measures that protect the state utility and that are really perceived as throwing up a lot of barriers to new clean energy and wind projects. How do you explain this apparent opposition or hostility to renewable energy? Um, what's the priority for the government here and why do they seem willing to shut down alternatives in renewable energy in Mexico? Yeah, so the the government, since taking office, AMLO government has enacted a series of measures that systematically undermine private investment in renewables. And I think it's worth mentioning what the main ones have been. So in February 2019, which was soon after he took office, he canceled the planned fourth long-term clean energy auction. Um, and this shut off the main source of new private investment in renewables. Then last October, the energy ministry changed the rules for the clean energy certificates, allowing state-owned projects built before the energy reform to be included. So this expanded the number of projects and completely diluted the value of the clean energy certificates. Then in April, the system operator, Senase, um, drafted a resolution that temporarily suspended pre-operation tests for wind and solar power plants. So that basically blocked new plants that were already uh, had been awarded, had already had financing, blocked them from being built, um, mm -hmm. saying that this was needed to stabilize the grid during the pandemic. And then in May, uh, the government changed the operating rules for the power grid to prioritize reliability. Um, and this favored the dispatch of fuel oil for power generation, which, by the way, helps Pemex uh, have a market for its heavy sulfur fuel oil, which it had lost the market for uh, because of the new IMO 2020 regulations. Hmm. So I think there's a, an effort to um, strengthen both CFE and Pemex in that case. Then just recently, a few weeks ago, uh, the government approved new transmission rates and increased the rates for the smaller and self-generation renewable energy projects that were built before the energy reform. And this totally changes the economics of some projects and is going to make some of them no longer economically viable. Um, and then they've also uh, recently, his party has floated plans to merge the energy regulator, CRE, with uh, other regulators and basically in an effort to undermine the independent, the independent regulators. So, I mean, why is he doing this? I think that, firstly, I think it's it's really mostly about restricting private investment, just like in the oil and gas sector, closing mm -hmm. off all the opportunities for private investment. And why does he want to do that? Particularly because he wants to consolidate CFE's monopoly. So, so just really looking through the regulations and saying, what can we do to strengthen CFE at the expense of private investment? But I also think that there's another aspect, which is, it seems that he, as well as some members of his senior team, like the head of the CFE, are just generally very skeptical of renewable energy or alternative energy sources. And they seem to see, you know, quote unquote, traditional energy sources like oil and gas, coal, large hydroelectric dams as the real drivers of the economy. So I think in both cases, there may be some technical 
justification for some of these. I think there there is a technical argument, but I think that the driver is really more ideological than pragmatic. And that's why we see this consistent policy of looking for ways through the regulations to try to undermine private investment in renewables. Mm. Yeah, and to me, the approach to renewables kind of begs the question whether or not the president has an attachment to the idea of PEMEX or its traditional role in the economy and the energy sector because he came of age in an oil-producing state um, and because the symbol of, of, of a strong national oil company resonates with him on so many levels. I mean, do you think that's coming into play here as well? I think so, yes. I think his background, he has been on the political scene. He's been an important political figure in Mexico for a very long time. And his views about the energy sector were well known since before he became president. And he's always stood for a strong state monopoly. He's always been an advocate for the oil and gas sector in his view of the best way to develop the sector, which is through the state. And so, you know, I think that whole background is what's informing all of his decisions today. I think some people thought or hoped that when he got into office, the, it would, he would realize that it's more practical to bring in private investment because as we're seeing, oil production is declining. Clearly, it's not working for Pemex to do it on its own. But I think that those beliefs are still what's driving his decisions. Yeah. I mean, that brings me to another broad question, which is presidents have six-year tenure in Mexico, I believe, which is a pretty long time to carry out change. But, you know, I think there was some optimism, at least on the part of private investors, that maybe as Anlo reached kind of the midpoint of his presidency, he'd be softening his line on some things, uh, maybe taking a look at the oil opening and determining that things were actually not that bad. There hasn't been a discovery of corruption in the contracts. In other words, to be kind of a shift in his approach or worldview um, and a bit of more positive story to tell. Um, do you see any signs of that kind of shift in approach happening? Do you think that Anlo's hardline on a lot of these energy issues is is bearing fruit and, and earning him public support? Um, and maybe a related question, is COVID-19 and the economic downturn uh, changing anything in terms of the government's policy and its priorities? I don't see any sign of a change in direction. I only mm. see signs of doubling down on the strategy. So, you know, in the oil sector, I don't see any evidence that would suggest that there's going to be a return to bid rounds. I think, in fact, the tax cuts for Pemex are very much in line with what the left has been saying needed to happen in Mexico for a long time, that Pemex had too much of a tax burden, that it needs more of a budget and giving it more money will will allow it to produce more oil. Um, you know, the the refinery, even in this difficult financial situation for the country, the refinery is still going forward. And then in the renewable sector, I think, if anything, the outbreak of, of COVID-19 has just been used to justify interventions that favor CFE. So I don't see any sign that there's a reversal. I only see signs that, you know, there's continuation and even stronger positions on, on the initial strategy. Mm. One question I had is on the, the level of public support for the president at this point. Um, so Amlo came into office with an extremely strong mandate, um, not only you know, lots of votes for, for the presidency, but a strong mandate in the states and, and in the legislature as well. 
So Mexico carried out this extremely ambitious, complicated uh, energy reform, constitutional reform under the previous president. But now there's this ongoing speculation that the president might try to change the constitution to reverse that entire energy reform, uh, really taking advantage of the strong majority that his party has in Congress. Can he pull that off? Is that actually feasible? So, yeah, I think this is an important question because even though his approval ratings are still pretty high, um, his party is not doing as well. Um, his party is a new party that he created, Morena, and it's a real mix and it includes a lot of people that are new to politics in Mexico. Um, and, you know, whether or not those people will remain as popular is, is unclear. Um, so the midterm elections are coming up in the summer of 2021. And mm -hmm. if the government sees that Morena's supermajority that it currently holds is going to be diminished, it could try within, you know, over the next year before the summer to change the energy reform uh, because they know that after the elections, they may not have the votes and they may not be able to do so. So, so far, the, the focus of AMLO, he hasn't touched the Constitution itself. He's just focused on the many regulatory changes that he can make uh, without even touching the Constitution that can really undo the, the key aspects of the reform. But I think that if he sees that he may lose that majority in the next election, then, you know, they will take a look at whether they can actually change the Constitution, because then even when he leaves office in Mexico, he can only have one term. He has a few more years left, but then he'll really leave a permanent mark. And then being able to form that supermajority coalition to then go back and change the Constitution again to open up will be very, very difficult. It was a it was a something that had never happened in Mexico for 70 years, and it wouldn't be easy to, again, recreate that coalition for an opening to private investment if it were reversed. Yeah, you raise an interesting point about institutional capacity in, in, in Mexico in the sense that AMLO has really targeted a lot of the institutions. So some of these organizations didn't exist before the energy reform. Um, building institutional capacity was always going to be a big challenge when the energy reform and the opening happened. And it seems pretty clear that there's an effort to, to kneecap institutions. And there's been a lot of brain drain and a lot of uncertainty about the, the future of these institutions. Um, how's that playing out? And how much do you think that's actually affecting the energy sector today? I think it is having an effect. It's kind of, um, it's probably more subtle than the effect of, you know, really obvious things like canceling clean energy auctions or bid rounds. Mm -hmm. But I think it does have an important effect. On the one hand, when you close opportunities for any company other than the state monopoly or almost monopoly, you really diminish the importance of the regulator because the regulators, the CNH for the oil sector and CRE for the electricity sector, their role and their main mandate is to be the arbiter of all the different companies. And you need them because you have multiple players. So we don't have multiple players and you're not awarding any new contracts. The role for CNH, for example, is much less significant. Um, and then at the same time, um, less experienced people have been hired for these roles. And the ones who were experienced and tried to stand up to the government and took positions that were independent were pushed out. Over time, I, I do think that this weakening of the regulators has an impact. And I think if 
there is an opening for more private investment, you're going to have to re-strengthen those regulators um, or else you're just you're going to have a very strong monopoly and you're not going to have a level playing field for all of the companies. Uh, well, Lisa, I think that's about all the time we have. I really want to thank you for a great overview of Mexico's energy sector and the economy, um, the state of play today and the outlook for the near term. We really appreciate your insights and thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Lisa for joining us this week. Find more episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us at CSIS.org or follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy. And thanks for listening. Thank you.